Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. It's a beautiful New York morning. I'm looking out at the Statue of Liberty and I'm sitting with Chetan Dubey, the CEO and founder of IPsoft. It's great to see you. And it's, I think the last time I met you, we were in Oslo together. Yes, it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic to see you, Mike. It's great uh, to see you as well. And, and, and I think since we've spoken uh, originally, I've, I have spoken about your creation, Amelia, so many times. She actually feels like my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it was a very funny story you once told that when you were actually creating her, your wife thought you were having an affair. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so She's we should, still convinced. She, <laughs> well, it doesn't help that you based her on, on, on a very attractive model <laughs> and part-time student. That's very true. I mean, I think that we find this plethora of artificial intelligence technologies that a managing director at Accenture called it much better than I could. He said there's artificial, artificial intelligence, and there's tons of the classic Gartner hype curve of peak of heightened expectations followed by a trough of disillusionment. And so when I see this plethora of smart water and smart, we discovered a couple of months ago there's a smart chicken in Kentucky, (laughs) and we have smart watches and smart shoes. I think we want to be sincere in trying to answer to that six and a half decades old question, which uh, Alan Matthias Turing had asked when he said, I propose to ask the question, can machines think? And how do we sincerely try to answer that? By actually having a real human, Lauren Hayes, University of Southern California student and model, and her face sake, Amelia on stage, and then having a discerning audience like you ask questions, engage for yourself, if we are sincerely and empirically starting to knock on that Turing horizon, if machines cannot just be equivalent, but be superior in driving some customer experiences. Do you think the classic Turing test of the ability of a machine to trick another human to think it's real, do you think that's still valid in an age of chatbots and uh, where we have you know dozens of applications you can download for free on the App Store, which which seemingly can beat the Turing test. Yeah, that's a brilliant question, and yes, I quite agree that it is not. It, it needs to evolve that Turing test. Right. It's no longer okay to fool one and three. That's not what's going to get the largest private and the banking institutions to say yes. You know, the, a managing director of one of the largest wealth management institutions that has also adopted Amelia actually told me there's one problem with just pure probabilistic systems. They are probabilistic. <laughs> when one of my clients wants to transfer 11 million from a fixed income to a derivative account, they don't want to know. My chances are nine out of ten that I would have transferred your money. They really want the system to be deterministic. Right. And for the system to be deterministic, you need to have semantically conditioned neural networks. Not just um, pure breeds of DNNs, but you need to have that semantic foundation uh, given to these neural networks. What, what, so, what, what is a semantic neural network versus your garden variety? So, so I think uh, I wouldn't bore you with too much of the math, but you have the varieties of neural networks go from uh, the, the deep neural network starts with the memory neural networks, which include a temporal component, right. time and how it is passing. 
and then it includes the recurrent neural networks, and then you have convolutional neural networks. So these are all these, and of course now you have LSTMs, which are very long short-term memory networks, and LSTM at the end, which is new LSTMs. So like a Google car, for example, what would it be? What would it be using? Yeah, so these are all neural networks that Google cars and everybody uses machine learning. Right. And uh, it is very, very applicable because it is able to feed back into backpropagate and adjust the weights accordingly of the network, just the way the human brain is, and to be able to come up with outcomes and probabilistic and saying chances are this. But you try, and I'm going to give you an example, you try and say, Mike has six elephants. He gives two elephants away to Jayden. How many elephants does Mike have? You will find that even for this basic question, you would need copious amounts of training data. Right. To be able to raw input and a question and an answer, copious amounts of that to be able to get just this basic question right. Because it's not the math problem that's hard, it's, it's the phrasing of it. And it's the symbolic logic. Right. It's the logic like, where they have a problem with. So that's where semantics needs to come in. You mm. need to introduce the semantic uh, under cognition into these neural network techniques. To be able so to be so I think people don't fully appreciate this because they look at a creation like Amelia and yeah. they think all the work has essentially gone into the way she talks, the way she looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't realize that, uh, you know, really the difficult part is to understand what cognition is. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that you hit the nail on the head, I think perhaps you articulated better than I, is that the most difficult part about Amelia is that how she thinks. And today, 162 of the global 2000 are going cognitive with her. Right. And, and when you think why is this mass drift happening towards, what is really going to deliver value is why this drift is happening and why and how is she able to deliver value if you ask me let's try and make an intelligent engineer let's try and make an intelligent human being if I ask you how would you make an intelligent human being well let's try and look at the brain processes and let's try and abstract the brain processes well at the center of your brain is hippocampus which is the center of semantic memory Hmm. all the facts that you've learned in the frontal and temporal cortexes exist your episodic memory, that events, as you started off this discussion by saying, oh, we're sitting in a beautiful morning in New York and I see the Statue of Liberty outside. Now that's your event-based memory. And then you have procedures that you have learned. Well, to get from here, to get to the airport for my next flight, this is what I need to do, Uber here and get there. That's your process memory. And then at the base of your spine, right where your spine meets the brain, is your affective memory. I have the privilege of meeting you in Oslo and I was impressed with your brilliance and since then you've achieved more in publishing. And I see, I have an affective reaction to you. I have an emotional empathetic. Right, which, co- which colors your other memories. And so when you say something, that thought vector goes into all these components of my brain for me to compile an output. It's not just by saying whatever you said, I'm gonna mechanical turk it, and come up with some next chit-chat utterance. Right. But I'm going to come up with a semantically conditioned output based on the entire context that is stored in my brain to say, oh, because Mike asked me this, here's what I know about this field, here's my answer. So, so have you effectively replicated that structure in the way you've designed this AI agent? Amelia? That's exactly right. 
At right. a meta abstraction, we have abstracted the activities of how human neocortical activities are represented and manifested in answering questions huh. and leading to problem solving. That's very important. It's not just okay to be able to come up with the next utterance because you have tons of chatbots out there. Yeah. But you talk which, to which usually about reframing your response as a question. Exactly. <laughs> Weizenbaum has already started this, the ELISA experiment a while, while yeah. back, but now the chatbots are becoming more and more astute because they're able to like study the DNN techniques, large amounts of data. Right, like, like uh, Xiao Ice in, in, exactly. in China. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they're able to like come up with the next utterance. But does that process an insurance claim fail? Does that help you with your mortgage query? Does that do actuarial analysis for you? I ask you this, does mm. it? I mean, that's the, what the industry is asking for. They want real solutions. Can you have somebody do mortgage? I want to buy, um, I am lived in South, I would say, I want to buy Chateau de la Caz in the South of France. I, I would say, well, how do I buy? Well, it's 4.7 mil euros, okay? So uh, I call the largest banking institution in UK and I say I want to buy the okay well how many years of SA 302 do you have uh, well I'm, I'm independently employed well do you have more than 15% ownership in the company <laughs> okay well how is your well you do okay how many dependents do you have uh, is your income trending like this declining because then I need to do a different risk analysis is your income trending like that increasing and that then your risk profile is adjusted accordingly that's true cognition right. it's not chatbot you don't, you, don't, you don't want the chatbot effectively saying, how do you feel about buying that house? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a classic Eliza or, response. Or, or a cute statement, I love Chateau de la Caz myself. I hear, I hear the weather's very nice. Yeah, I hear the weather's very nice. You know, that's why cognition, the, the big question we must ask ourselves, if we are to really solve the problems that human intelligence solves today, can we fake it? But Can we fake it with cute next utterances? Will that actually solve the problem? And that's why the industry has discovered that you really need to be able to sincerely clone the way and human intellect is manifested for you to be able to really solve problems. From dealing with banks myself, I know you talk about an intelligent agent, but often that's a contradiction in terms. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of things about human cognition which aren't great. Um, and I'm wondering, I mean, did, did you give, I mean, did you give Amelia an amygdala? <laughs> so, I mean, there must have been parts yeah. of the, the human cognition experience that you decided to omit. Yeah, so that's very true there. And in fact, even learning capabilities of humans, we must be, particularly in banking institutions, as you said, we must have control gates, uh, rogue learning, as an example. Humans, um, your kid might run outside and he might pick up a word that you wish you had an erase button and you could just say, wipe that word out from your memory. Right. Uh, rogue learning is very much prevalent even in, uh, in artificial intelligence. We saw this with Tay, Microsoft's experiment. There you go. I mean, after, 20, after 24 hours, it become a racist bigot. That's exactly right. I was loving Hitler and doing all kinds of things. And to your point exactly, so we must prevent rogue learning. And that's where humans can act as the control gates. Right that can say, this is the entire mind map that I have learned. And every night, and uh, depending on the banks, I mean, it's been a frequency of three hours, six hours, or, or, or uh, 24 hours, the banks come up with every night that they have control gates, where they actually say, yes, uh, we approve what Amelia has learned today. Right, so you, almost on a daily basis in the future, companies will actually flush 
the consciousness that's right of the AI that's exactly right <laughs> that's so that's interesting exactly, yeah I mean you can always see a scenario where it's it's left a few days without being tended and it kind of evolves into you know being sentient <laughs> oh yes that's that's very true but I, I I don't subscribe to you know I think the feeling that the these computers or the machine intelligence will come and take our jobs and things like I think there's there's the utopian view that it'll create a world. Uh, there's a French scholar that said that the whole purpose of artificial intelligence is that man can spend more time at the beach. Yes. So I think that uh, humans are today shackled by the ordinary. Uh, you, even at your level, I would venture to say that you only use 10 to 20 percent of your creative brain on any given day. Even at your level, if, even who's if, in the business of creative expression? Even if, if I'm lucky, they, they, they know. <laughs> so imagine if he unshackled you from the ordinary, vacuuming the floor, driving the cars, and all these ordinary things, and allowed you to push that boundary from ten to twenty percent to thirty to forty percent. Think of the impact that a brain like yours. It, could it's make. a very good point, you know, because when I've observed ultra wealthy people, the, the yeah. biggest difference I know is between them and everyone else is that they don't have to do any transactional tasks. There you go. They have an army of staff That's that right. takes care of every aspect of their life. That's right. So that they are focused on pure value creation. That's exactly right. And that army is going to be your most faithful servant and that's going to be machines. That's going to be cognitive agents right. that will say, we will take care of all mundane chores from you so that we will liberate you to be able to focus on higher value, creative expression, and things that can have much more impact. So you really see we're going through just a transition period at the moment, where we're having a rerun of the Luddite debate of smashing yeah. the machines, of they're coming for our jobs, <laughs> they're right. coming for our kids. It's because That's we right. don't really understand that these are jobs that we shouldn't actually want. That's, you tell me one person, I have yet to find one person who says, I would like to go through my entire life from start cradle to grave, having achieved nothing. Hmm. I've yet to find a single person that says, I'd like to live my life tightening the same bolt every day and grow old and eventually die without having make any impact in the world. My life should be so inconsequential. I have not found a single person that says that. So, so I say that why wouldn't people welcome a technology that can come and you're right about the neo-luddites that's saying oh well we'll smash the machines these machines are going to take our job i asked them a separate question what happened to the horse and carriage driver oh well they're gone what happened to the eight ninety percent of us that were just farming huh 1800 90 percent of us the, were the better farming. question is what happened to the horses the horse, they, <laughs> that's true. And, and they were actually sent to the glue factory that's that, that is well said. So it's a dangerous question to well said. And I, I would say uh, what, what so i mean what, what's going to happen in this transition period i mean do you, yeah. uh, people now are talking about a universal income that's true. Uh, and I, was in, I was in Nice with the Swiss IT Leadership Forum. Just and, and they just voted for it in Scandinavia, right? That's right, in Scandinavia and Switzerland. I mean, I think they. Do you think that's the answer? Well, that could be. I mean, I was talking to their uh, confeder uh, confederation, uh, uh, Swiss uh, CIO, and it seems that that could be one way in which the basic subsistence is just provided for, and and there is uh, there is a school of thought that says because productivity is only going to increase. It's not that the productivity and the GDP has gone. GDP is going to grow up hmm. because these machines are just as effective and much more productive and 24-7. Now we just uh, have a question of like, how do we distribute that wealth creation? 
So well, we can give our population and our citizens a certain baseline and give them the freedom. And yesterday I was talking to a CEO who said, well, even if 80% of them decide to take the freedom and just drink beer and uh, uh, walk around in the parks, that's fine. But I think there's going to be the 20% that are going to dream of how do we put a man on Mars quickly. And and so there is some... Who, who will be taxed insanely in order to pay for the 85%? Yeah, <laughs> that could be possibly true. Yeah. But I feel, no, the subsistence will... I think that there is a, there is, I'm not, uh, I'm not of the mindset that this is a absurd idea or this is a great idea. I just know that there is, it is worth considering. What 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 industries do you think will be impacted most initially uh, by the potential of artificial intelligence? Yeah. So we are starting to see the finance and insurance are moving fastest. Right. Right behind them, healthcare and right behind them is uh, retail. And now, interestingly, oil and gas, particularly because of the oil crisis, has really started to move in this direction. I understand banking insurance because they were one of the first to embrace the outsourcing boom and, yeah. and, and create you know, service centers in, in India. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's a pretty logical step how they would then you know, move to cognitive yeah. computing. But oil and gas? Well, you know, interestingly, when you have like oil prices dip to the extent that they do, well, when the oil was just up, nobody really needed to do the squeeze on OPEX. But now, with the oil prices where it's going, I mean, everybody needs to be very conscious of like what they're going to do about their operational expenses. Hmm. And, and I tell you, the interesting part about your question is that, to the new lot, I said also ask about, do we have a choice about this? Do we have a choice? Will time and tide will wait for no one? Hmm. Time, tide, and I submit, and technology, will wait for no one. It's coming, it's going to come. You cannot turn away from a 40 to 60% more efficient operating model. You cannot turn away from a increased customer satisfaction index, you can't. So the industries, I have yet to say, even a CEO say, oh yeah, I think it's great, I could reduce my OPEX by 40%, but I think I'm not gonna do it. It is going to happen, the question man must be asking himself, and what worries me is that we are not thinking more about how to thrive in this new world order that is imminent and here now. We are instead debating whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, which is, it is like talking whether a tide is a good thing or a bad thing. But you know, populist world. governments will struggle with this um, yeah. because you can just see that even though they might understand the yeah. logic of that, uh, the general population doesn't. And you know, we could well see regulations coming in which have a minimum human quota. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's very, very well made point. If, but do you think those, those corporations and those countries will be able to compete on no. a global scale? It's like trade tariffs. Right? There you go. Uh, I mean, they make, they make no sense, but uh, you, you also really have a level playing field. That's but you're right, there will be some market like China, which says, are you serious? Like, of, of course, we're going to go fully automatic. I mean, they're already doing this on yeah. the factory side. That's exactly right, because the boundaries that exist, the geographical boundaries that exist between us have all been dissipated yeah. by the technologies. So if one country decides to say, guess what, we are going to impose a tariff on our minimum amount of uh, a human that is required, well, they have disadvantaged their globally competitive position by that quota that they've just put. Exactly. They're now 25% less disadvantaged in like producing a car as compared to somebody that is going full on automated. You, you've spoken a lot about the rise of the uh, autonomic and the cognitive enterprise. Could you unpack that a little for me and just explain ex exactly what that is and how that differed from what we had before? Well, 
So again, I find this to be a great question because autonomic and cognitive technologies, expert systems are just about to get married. What will happen is that you will find the uberization of IT in the second half of this year. Well, what, what, what is an autonomic system and what is a cognitive system? Autonomic system is a system that is self-governing, self-healing, self-correcting. So your servers, your networks, your databases, your applications should not really need an army of people to manage. They should be kind of self-healing, self-governing, self-managing. Just like the way we breathe. That's There you go. That's based after the autonomous immune, immune system of the human body. Right. So, so and thank you for clarifying that. But that's the autonomic backbone. So once we've got that autonomic backbone, but I ask you, there were people who needed to be driven, and there were, there were drivers, but in the middle sat the taxi cab company. In an algorithmic economy, the people who needed to be driven could directly contact the drivers through the algorithms of Uber. Right. We Uberized the taxi cab company. Now you look at, there are people who need services from systems, networks, databases that exist here. And there's business consumers here. And in the middle sits a big stack of IT. And what we do to the business users, we always pull them down. We say, no, 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 you can't tell me that you need an IP phone. I'm gonna make you come right down to the ITSM platform <laughs> and say, open a service catalog, go down to asset management, then go down to hardware, then select phone, and then fill out a form. And while you're at it, delete your inbox. And delete, exactly, <laughs> delete your inbox because it's too big. You're exceeding your quota, and I'll hit submit and hope that some ticket gets open somewhere that can subsequently get me an IP phone. Wouldn't it be nice, most of the business users I talk to say, I want to be able to say, can you get me an IP phone? That's it, and they want to be able to talk to that. Now imagine if, if you had, if you had the ability to layer cognitive competence on top of an autonomic backbone, you could have a business user not have to go down to the ITIL V3 stack. Do we really have to make the business user understand the principles of Michael Faraday's principles of induction before he can turn on light? <laughs> No, he should no. say, my mail is running slow. Electricity disappears as a concept. Right? There you go. It's my mail's running. What's the printer across the hall? Can you do a push for me at 2 a.m.? So the cognitive layer is, is actually the piece that translates the human need into, into the, the autonomic. autonomic system. There you go. And what will happen is, as this will be a significant trend of disintermediating IT completely. This would be the uberization of IT, and you will start right. to see it in the second half of this year, which uh, this trend will start to emerge in the marketplace. So Amelia really is just a personification of this cognitive system. That's exactly right. So what is the difference between something like Amelia and something like Watson? Well, I think the, the difference is that Amelia is specifically designed to emulate human brain and human brain's capabilities and output. Watson is also designed to actually look at superintelligence, which is analytic capabilities to be able to do deep data mining, to be able to look at 70,000 articles and find P53. It's, sim it's similar to like what AlphaGo. There you go. I mean, right. it is able to do these things that are require deep data analytic capabilities. And so they are somewhat orthogonal in their proficiencies, hmm. and and I think that um, 
they could, uh, Amelia's focus is, I want to do exactly what humans do and do it more consistently, more deterministically, with better value outcomes. Hmm. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things that people say about these machine learning uh, systems is that we don't really know what's inside the black box. Uh, I mean, these systems learn, but if you actually were to look inside these neural networks, it's just a massive algebra, and we, mm -hmm. we don't really fully understand them. Yeah. Um, so what I'm wondering is in five and ten years when we look at some of these cognitive systems, we, we know that they work, but we don't know why. And they sort of, they start to evolve without really our humans fully understanding what's going on. That's, that's scary because that's where humans need to play professors. Right. Humans, as they move up the stack, they need to be continuously training and the systems need to be learning. How, how can these systems free man more and more with time if they are not continuously learning from humans? Humans need to, and I'll tell you what the world will be. And humans need to learn from these systems Th too, That's right. right. If, if you call in today, and I'm talking about the, the, giving the example of the mortgage, if the largest banking institution in the UK called them for mortgages, and they're, there's a person who goes through a set sheet of like, I'm going to go see if you qualify for this mortgage. Now, that person doesn't have to do the set procedural task because a cognitive agent has now taken over that part. Now I can say, the human agent can say, well, Mike, I'm glad that you called about this uh, mortgage and I'm glad that we have addressed that, but I see that if we could consolidate your debt pattern, we see you've got this much in credit and I think we, you fly around a lot. I think here's a kind of a package thing that I could come up with that could address your comprehensive need. Human creative expression. Which is actually why Wells Fargo have been so successful, right? That's it's, exactly it's their right. their ability to take one product and then sell like another nine. Omni-channel to cross-sell, to upsell, to actually make sure that you are increasing, not just the selling, but also increasing the level of customer experience, like yes. knowing the customer better. That's all the things that humans today can't do because they're shackled by the ordinary chores of running set procedural algorithms. If you're, if you're a leader though in, in a Fortune 500 company today and you're, you're sort of watching the rise of these cognitive agents, algorithms, yeah. AI, automation, what do you think you need to do to upgrade your own skills to be effective in managing in this hybrid environment with real and virtual employees? That's How do you stay great. one step ahead? Because no. you know, you've got these cognitive agents operating on one level here, but you've also got algorithms which pre you know, presumably can start to manage a lot of things that middle management used to do in the mm -hmm. past. You know, some people are already ahead of the curve because um, I will give you an example where the CEO of uh, Accenture said that uh, Amelia has got a hashtag one as the employee of uh, Accenture. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fascinating because it's just like any other employee, hmm. except that it doesn't take vacation, it's 24-7 and it has got deterministic value creation for your customers. And so now the question becomes, how do I elevate my employees and how do I retool my employees to be able to add more value to the customer experience. So I, rather than getting them caught in the, the mire of ordinary, how do I elevate them into thinking about like, here's how we could add better output for you. And so that's, a, that's already ongoing in several large service providers who are starting to move into their graduate, their employees into higher forms. But do line of business managers, I mean, is the right frame of reference that they think they're managing these AI agents or are they, um, actually working for them. 
That's a great thing. Um, I would say that in most parts, they find that they are managing um, these these AI agents are to be there's to be control gates that can actually check to see that they have learned the right things. So from that aspect, they have to manage it, but they are not going to need day-to-day -day productivity or like if you're taking a vacation or a break right. or something management from that part of you. So it's a, it's a very it's more about It's more about resource allocation. Right? That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. I mean, in one case, I'll give you an example. In one of the largest media companies here, the uh, call volume as audited by Gartner of 65,000 calls was being fielded by human agents and it was shifted to being fielded by Amelia. Hmm. Now, the average speed to answer dropped from 55 seconds. You didn't have to wait for cognitive agent to pick up to two to sub two seconds that's a given but that's not the that's not the attractive part the mean time to satisfactory resolution dropped from 18.2 minutes done by human agent to right. 4.5 minutes done by a cognitive agent immediate that is the tectonic shift that's the cognitive revolution that has got deterministic outcomes that we're in the midst of so if you were to look out in five and ten years, as these cognitive agents evolve, what do you think that path of evolution is going to be? Like, how will things be different in companies, uh, for leaders, uh, for human beings? I think there's going to be a big digital Darwinism curve. And companies are going to self-select themselves as to where they wish to be on this digital Darwinism curve. Do they wish to be informed that this big wave is coming? Do they wish to be in the bracket of fast followers or hybrids that they are doing some POCs and tinkering experimentalists? Do they wish to be catalysts that are saying, no, I think I want to try and identify certain silos and start to go digital? Or do they wish to be digital front runners? Like natural born. That's exactly right. And there you can also see, and McKinsey has published some research in this, that you can see that BBVAs, are in banking, for instance, are one of the Barclays, for instance, digital front runners. Hmm. And what will happen is that the disparity, because again, this is McKinsey research, the, the magnitude of the threat is that 35% you will have OPEX, you will have 35% net profit erosion if you don't go digital. And the opportunity is so huge that you would have 45% gains on net profits if you do go digital. So you see the spread being 80%. So it's a big curve and the person who's a digital laggard will have a tough time just competing in a marketplace with some digital front runners. Yeah. Chetan, we live in exciting times. It's been wonderful talking to you uh, and I'm Really uh, thrilled uh, to have met Amelia and to learn more about what's happening at IPSoft. So thank you very much for being on the show. Well, it's been a privilege, Mike. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.